Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Nice to have you along. I'm really looking forward to today's chat with Sarah Olivieri. Sarah has a fascinating business called Pivot Ground, which was formed way back in 2014. And so Sarah is a business coach and strategist with a passion for helping nonprofit organizations thrive. She's a number one international best-selling author and a former nonprofit executive director who now helps nonprofit teams as CEO and founder of her company Pivot Ground. And her impact method framework helps nonprofits simplify their operations, build aligned teams, and make a bigger impact without overwhelm. So, Sarah, thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. And whereabouts are you calling in from? I am in New York State in the beautiful Hudson Valley, about an hour and a half north of New York City. Nice. And uh, we've been having quite a heat wave, um, so everything's a little dry right now, but soon we'll be coming into fall where it's one of the most beautiful places to be on the planet, I think. You should work for the tourism board. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yeah, so before we dive into Pivot Ground, do you want to give us a little bit about your background and then we can move into that side of things? Sure, absolutely. Well, I have a lot of experience in nonprofits. I've been an executive director, a founder, a conference coordinator, program manager. Nonprofit folks tend to wear a lot of hats. But I also have owned some, besides my current business as a for-profit business, which used to be a marketing agency, I've also owned a cafe and art supply store, which eventually became a cafe and co-working space. It was years and years and years before I called myself an entrepreneur, but after starting three or four businesses, I figured <laughs> that's what I am. I love it. I have to ask, was, it, was there any particular book or moment that caused you to step into the business world? You know, I think I was just drawn to it. I had my first kind of administrative job. Somebody, you know, was just looking for someone to run a conference and it was actually in a nonprofit. I was managing programs and there was problems with the bookkeeper. I'll just leave it at that. And I took over the bookkeeping. And as soon as you can manage and like communicate with people and do the numbers, you rise to the top pretty quickly. And at that point, then I also had the skills to start my own organization and later my own business. So I had all this skill set from doing that. And I wouldn't say there was any book, but I'm a mom and there was a real moment when my son was just under three years old and I wanted to grow my business. I wanted to make something that would support us. And I had a husband who was not very supportive. And so I did this kind of leaving my husband you know, really leaning into my business, big pivot moment, which is when I actually named my business Pivot Ground to be, you know, really intentionally creating a life that I wanted. Brilliant. I feel a bit boring now because I was going to say I read a couple of books and, and that's why it made me think about it. But I read a, the Rich Dad Poor Dad was one and then that four-hour work week was another one that they got me thinking, wow, this whole thing out there called business. But Nothing else quite as cool as, as your story, your, your moment of pivoting. So yeah, Pivot Ground, very cool and great name selection, I must say. Thank um, you. So yeah, today we're looking at the how you help nonprofits, which is interesting because I've recently spoken to a few business leaders in the nonprofit world. So I had Trondre Grobler 
on the podcast recently. She's over in the UK on the HR side of things. And then Lisa Brown Alexander of Nonprofit HR in Washington. So I'd love to hear how you work with nonprofits because you're not necessarily around HR compliance and things like that. You're around more the operational excellence and the, and the strategic direction. So can you tell us how you help nonprofits? Yeah. Well, you know, I help really my main person I work with as I work with clients is the executive director. That's a nonprofit CEO. And I help them put in place a whole way of leadership. I really believe that, you know, when we think about great leadership, that there are two parts to great leadership. One is having leaders with great leadership skills and ability, but there's a whole nother half that doesn't get talked about as much, which is leadership as systems, right? What is the whole system that is even deciding who the leaders are, who you're going to hire, how's everybody going to work together? I'm a systems person, so of course I love leadership systems, but for good reason, because they are sustainable. Leadership systems can live beyond a single leader. They help with transitions between one leader and another to keep things consistent. And they help grow teams. And one of the biggest challenges that I see in nonprofits is they are chronically understaffed. And they often think, oh, well, I'll hire somebody more when I have the money. But they're often understaffed, specifically in the department where they are fundraising and needing to bring in money. So often I'm working with my clients on thinking about realizing that this money-making function, I like to call it money pie in nonprofits. Nonprofits are always making mission pie and money pie. And they've kind of often been focusing on their mission pie ignoring their money pie, and then they run out of money pie, and then they start, you know, their mission pie starts struggling and shrinking. And so teaching them that first you need to build a team that can bring in the money, and you're going to have to invest first in hiring up, and then you will have the money. If you just don't hire and have nobody to do this work, the money is not going to come. It's not just going to magically fall in your lap. Yeah. Is it a a scary decision for the business? Terrifying, especially because, you know, a lot of people in the for-profit space may not realize this, but nonprofits are always told, don't spend any money. Don't take any risks, right? Don't use a line of credit. But what they don't realize is that doing nothing is often one of the riskiest choices, but it feels safe because they don't necessarily know better. And it's a good point. Doing nothing is still a decision, actually. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Tell us about the book and also the impact method. What what are they? What do they cover? Sure. So I created the impact method at the time when I was a marketing, running a marketing agency, I had started to focus on nonprofits. And I realized that most nonprofits couldn't take advantage of great marketing because they weren't functional enough as businesses. And I actually had a client who said, would you come and help reorganize our team and our departments? And I was like, somebody wants me to do that? That feels so fun. And from that moment on, I was like catching up with myself. And so I started to take what I'd learned about building strategy in marketing and applying it to overall how to run the whole organization. 
question because nonprofits are already very complex as businesses, right? Because they're always making money pie and mission pie, and they have a board of directors from day one. I mean, for those of you listening, like how many of you have to contend with a board of directors? In the for-profit space, that's usually like big public companies with lots and lots of money, not small companies with a budget of a couple hundred thousand to, you know, 1 million, 10 million, 14 million. At the larger size, you have more capacity to deal with a board. So they need to be really slick with their systems and processes for organizing in order to manage that level of complexity. So I started taking what I had learned from the for-profit world, things like Agile, other systems for running businesses, and I wanted to package it up in a way that was simple to implement and where nonprofit leaders didn't have to stitch together all the different tools themselves because they are too overwhelmed to do that and there's too much going on. So I created this method and my other big priority was I already knew if I just came in as a consultant and gave them ideas, when I left, that it would stop, the magic would stop working. And so I wanted them to have a framework that would work without my brain. So that when I loaned my brain to their work, it was like a little booster shot, you know, a little fuel injection, but otherwise that it worked on its own without me. And I was really, really committed to creating something that would do that. And that's how I created the impact method. That's clever. What's within the framework? What sort of elements are contained? Yeah. So there's three main parts. One is, I call it the heart of the brand, your modus operandi, right? It's like who you are as an organization. And it's all about alignment. So there's a lot of like HR pieces in there. And the two pieces are, what do you believe in as an organization? What kind of rules of the road do you follow? And you know, what is your unique mission, your unique destination combined with how are you organizing your team, right? What does your org chart look like? And I actually teach a alternative to the traditional org chart because I don't believe that I call the traditional org chart people in charge of people in charge of tasks. And it's really much more efficient to have people be in charge of outcomes, outcome-oriented business, which nonprofits are totally outcome-oriented business. They're solving the world's most complex unsolved problems. So they have to be driven in that direction. So that's kind of piece one, which is all about getting the right people and aligning them together, doing the right things. The second piece is about having a truly actionable strategy, one that's iterative. We actually, in the impact method, teams update their strategic plan every two months, and they have this very kind of agile-inspired workflow where they're working in two-week sprints to really get everything done and to recognize problems. I like to say if you catch a problem early, it's an opportunity, or if you catch an issue early, it's an opportunity. And if you don't catch it or don't go looking for it, it'll just come up and whack you in the face as a problem, <laughs> and then you're putting out fires. And then the third part is having a process of improvement, and that is where you're always just thinking about how do we do this better, how do we innovate, Right. And again, like I said, all businesses, especially in turbulent times, need a continual process of improvement. But any business that is focused on innovation and really by definition, nonprofits are innovators. And if they're not, they don't need to be around, right? Like if you're not solving an unsolved problem, right? Like if we knew how to fix hunger, we wouldn't need nonprofits. And so a nonprofit that isn't innovating around solving hunger, if that's their domain, isn't worth much <laughs> in my book. And I love nonprofits. I say that so lovingly. But so that's the third piece is that process of improvement. So having an aligned team, who you are, your MO, 
the actionable strategy and the continual process of improvement. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I know some of my listeners would be either consulting or recruitment, staffing firms, things like that, training companies where they supply or help nonprofits in those various areas. So I'm sure they'd be finding this very interesting in terms of the structure and the planning and the you know, that sort of three-pronged approach. So that that's fantastic. Can I get some advice from you? Because, you know, there's that famous number or whatever that gets thrown about whereby the vast majority of businesses disappear within the first year and then the five years, they're pretty much all gone, something like that. And you've been around for 10 years. So what's been your secret to success and what have you done and are doing now to grow and develop your own business? Yeah. Well, one of the very first kind of business lessons I learned is that just choose to stick with it. When the going gets tough, a whole bunch of people are just going to, your competition, they're just going to go away. (laughs) They're going to give up. So don't, if you love it, don't give up. And I think, you know, maybe this will resonate with some of your listeners. I heard Alex Hermosi say this recently, like he started, have you heard of him? He started Uh, a gym business, right? And he said, I started gym business because I thought I loved fitness. But when I started it and started getting good at it, what I realized is my true passion was I love business. And when I started really doing my second or third business, I was like, oh my God, I love business business, right? So think about that for yourself. If you truly love business, like don't ever quit. Just keep doing it. Like recognize that's your passion and, you know, maybe your HR business is how you express yourself. So I think that's really important just not to quit. And I've had to use that a lot because being in the nonprofit industry, selling to the nonprofit industry is extremely challenging because the nonprofit industry is very dysfunctional when it comes to buying things, spending money, and investing in themselves. In fact, the concept of return on investment is almost completely absent in the nonprofit space. And I've had coaches tell me, Sarah, you just make so much more money if you just did what you do for profits and just ignore the nonprofits. But at some point, at the end of the day, you have to be really passionate about what you're doing. And there are some privileges and benefits that come from working in the nonprofit space that aren't available in the for-profit space. And I recall um, Lisa Brown Alexander from Nonprofit HR, she mentioned that the nonprofits, they do have budgets and so on. Absolutely. You know, I like to work with a lot of nonprofits between, you know, one and three million is a really nice spot for me. But I've had clients who, you know, 10, 15 million dollars, no problem. And there are plenty who are 50 million plus organizations as far as operating budgets. So can I ask, you mentioned a guy called Alex Hermosi. So I'm guessing that most people listening haven't heard of him. And so he's in the marketing world, he sort of stormed onto the scene almost because he was a guy who helped his own gym business and then helped other gym businesses and licensed out his models. But he was all about office and things like this. And he's really reshaped my own thinking because I've become obsessed recently about offers because I do marketing and we help clients in the HR industry, whether they be consulting firms or HR tech firms, and time after time, I realize we can do all sorts of really cool marketing stuff and we can track it and we can measure it and we can be creative and we can do volume, whatever it may be. But unless there's a good offer there, unless it's positioned well, it's really hard. It's like sending vegetarians to a meat restaurant or a barbecue lovers to a, a vegetarian restaurant. 
you can do all the sky banners and things like that you want, run radio ads, but good luck with that one. So what's been your evolution in determining the offers that you take as a business to the nonprofit world? Yeah, well, I have, you know, I've been doing this long enough to see how the advice even has evolved. And even just maybe four years ago, five years ago, people were taught in the marketing space, we're talking about all these marketing funnels, but people weren't talking about offers. And it became very clear as soon as you applied any sort of funnel expertise or marketing expertise that you have to have a great offer. And it is hard, depending on the niche, your industry, it can be harder or easier to find that offer. I have done a ton of work in finding the right offer and the right sales approach for my audience. Pivoting, Babs. Pivot ground. Pivoting. I have pivoted many, many times. In fact, just last year, I'm just kind of recovered last year at the end of the year, I started to hone in on the main offer and I had created, I don't know, like 10 other offers all around it. And I just scrapped all but one. And now I am rebuilding my, you know, offers that are available. How's that going? Yeah, it's going really well. You know, so in my own business, one of the things I've struggled with in getting advice and ideas around offers is when I say, you know, oh, I work with nonprofits, everybody thinks my offers should be around fundraising. And so I made some fundraising related offers and I'm very good at fundraising because it's like it's marketing, right? So I'm very good at marketing. But fundraising isn't the primary thing that the CEO needs to do. And organizations who are struggling with scaling Fundraising isn't really their biggest problem. Money isn't really their biggest problem. It's their biggest problem is what I call the whack-a-mole problem. It's not any one thing that they struggle doing. It's managing all of it, right? And I bet all of the entrepreneurs who like growing their own businesses have had that moment. Like, how do we manage all of it? And it's many times over with a nonprofit because you have the money pie, the mission pie, and the board of directors from day one. So there's a lot of it. Whether you want it or not, you have a lot to manage even when you're small. So how do you tie that to your offer then with what you take to them? So in my offer, you know, I've honed in a lot on that saying like sell the, you know, in your marketing, sell them what you want, what they want, and then give them what they need. So we've worked a lot on that, really messaging around the offering. And then I had to make a very kind of unique to the nonprofit space pivot is I had a lot of CEOs saying, yes, I want your offer. It's totally worth the price many times over. I know we can figure out how to afford it. And I have a price guarantee that I'll make sure that by the end of the program, it's paid for itself. So it really shouldn't be an issue. But then they say, but my board of directors won't let me. And I'm not allowed to spend, my offer is around 12000 for a year-long program, a little more than that. And many of them aren't allowed to spend more than 5000 to 10000 in one shot without approval from the board of directors. And now you're trying to put an offer in front of the board of directors, who is a group of all-volunteer part-time folks who don't really understand or experience any of the problems of running a nonprofit. So it creates this really challenging dynamic. But now I have a new offer, kind of a lead-in offer, that is for those boards to help them understand what's going on and why 
the kind of offer that I'm now making to really to their CEO makes sense. And so I really had to not just change my marketing, but have two related offers for that challenge that I kept coming up against. That's clever. So you've almost sliced something off the front stage and offered that, sold that at a smaller pricing level to feed into the bigger body of work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, it rem- reminds me, I, I go on about it all the time, but when I was first starting out as an HR consultant, there was the employee handbook manual thing and then helping them develop that, tailor it, and then it was rolling into training their staff and then, you know, management training and so on. But, yeah, there were step changes and in, in size and scope and so on. And then seeing what you see in, in non-profits, and also your marketing background, what kind of advice would you offer to companies in the HR space, whether that be HR consulting firms or tech firms? What's your advice on growing and marketing their own respective businesses? Yeah, I think, you know, always look at other industries, right? And actually, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, when I forget when I first, I was randomly introduced to Alex Hermosi before he wrote his $100 million offers book. But I was following Jay Abraham, yeah. if anybody knows him. And Jay Abraham is famous for, he's saying, you know, if you need a solution to one of your problems is like your, one of your solutions is somebody else's problem. And he's famous for looking to other industries. And I've done that in my work a lot. So I don't research nonprofit solutions when I see a problem. I see what other industry that nobody's really thinking is related has some sort of connection. And I encourage you to use that approach to solve problems for your own business or get ideas about marketing. So for example, because I Alex, I'm in the middle of reading his book, Jim Launch Secrets, which is his first book. You can get it for free, I think, if you have Amazon Prime. But you'd think, oh, well, what does that have to do with an HR agency or a nonprofit consulting agency? Well, gyms are coaching businesses. And so he lays out his exact model that for marketing, selling, you know, offers for a coaching business in that book, Gym Launch Secret. So it is absolutely relevant, kind of like a hidden resource. So I think always just looking to other industries and seeing what you can learn and apply, right? Don't rebuild the wheel. Somebody else probably yeah. already figured this out in another industry. Um, for, for nonprofits, I like to say, you know, one of the things nonprofits need to do in fundraising is get their donors to become recurring donors, which is essentially code for a subscription donor. And all we have to do is look at the mass explosion in subscription services, right? You can have subscription razor blades, subscription clothing, right? We have subscription everything and see what they've figured out and then reapply it to nonprofits. How do we have amazing subscription donation service, right? So the solution, there's like bazillions of free ideas that somebody's already spent a lot of money testing out in another marketplace. The other thing I'd say for HR organizations is don't forget about the nonprofit space. I don't know what the latest data is. I pulled it up quickly here. In the U.S., about 17.7% of total employment is in the nonprofit space, right? That's no small number. That's a very big chunk. And combine that with, I just said earlier that nonprofits are chronically understaffed, which means 
they probably should be closer. I, I would just guess. I mean, I don't have data on, no one's collecting data on just how understaffed nonprofits are, but usually I find they need at least 25% more people than they have when I go in. You know, if you think that's potentially a few percentage points up, that's a lot of hiring. And most of them aren't ready to hire, right? So I do a ton of work with my clients on how do you even know what the right person is for your team. Often we're doing a lot of work of letting wrong fit team members go. So there's just a ton of opportunity in the nonprofit space. You have to deal a little bit with their, you know, fears about money, but that is an issue that all of us should be helping nonprofits solve. Nonprofits should not be afraid of spending money because it's how you invest and grow your impact. And it's important to have a bigger impact, especially if you're a nonprofit. Yeah, there are some definitely, I completely agree with the idea that there are so many ideas you can take from other industries and sectors. I do that a lot with various industries and see what's going on, what ideas we can steal. And finally, do you ever team up with other firms, whether it be HR or recruitment and things like that? Because I'm a big believer, and as you mentioned, sort of getting either taking ideas or you mentioned Jay Abraham, so partnering up with other firms where you've got a problem or they've got a problem and you can potentially partner up. Do you ever see the opportunities for that within this sector? Absolutely. In fact, I'd say my biggest referral partner is a recruitment business. They just recruit virtual executive assistants based in the US and Canada. Mm. And so because I am, I don't think I have a single client who I haven't advised that they need to be hiring one or more people, both at the leadership level and at the support level. Um, and so I'm always sending clients to them. And I really appreciate because that's the actual finding of the person is beyond the scope of what I do. But I'm always telling clients they need to do that. And then vice versa, they send me clients because when they do get a client who is a nonprofit and thinking about hiring, they know that's the moment when that nonprofit is thinking about scaling up, making a bigger impact, and usually they're a perfect fit for me. So I love partnering with HR consultants especially, and hiring people who actually do recruitment and hiring to both send clients and receive clients. Or also just you are working with nonprofits or you sometimes get them and and they're so not ready to hire and you want to get them kind of whipped into shape, you can send them to me <laughs> and I will get them ready, you know. All of my clients, they struggle with spending before they enroll with me. But I quickly teach them about, you know, how money works and investing and that you do have to take a risk and spend first and that these employees that you're going to hire are going to pay for themselves many, many times over. So they are much easier for everybody else once they've started working with me. I love it. So they send you the raw materials, you get them ready and then send them back and then they can potentially hire on for them. Absolutely. Very good. So finally, yeah, if people want to learn more about you and about Pivot Ground, what should they do next? The best place is really pivotground.com. You can read about our programs, our method. If you want to just reach me directly, you're welcome to email me, Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at pivotground.com. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. I guess technically I'm on Instagram as well, uh, all the platforms. But, you know, good old email and websites are my favorite. <laughs> The place to be. Very good. And we'll have the links to all that in the show notes. But yeah, Sarah, you've shared some great stories, some great insights. And yeah, I wish you absolutely all the best for the business. And 
Thank you for sharing your time today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.